You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Hala, host of Young and Profiting Podcast. And today we're in for a special treat. We are replaying my episode number one, my first ever podcast that I ever released. It features Dr. Jack Schaefer, who wrote The Like Switch. It features Dory Clark, who wrote Stand Out. And basically, it's a totally different format from any of my other shows. So episode one, two, and three are a way more fancy, intricate format that I did before I really knew what I was doing. I, I never really listened to any podcasts before I started my podcast almost three and a half years ago. I didn't have a course or a book. I mean, podcasts were still relatively new. They're not, were nearly no way as big as they are now. And so I didn't have any playbooks. And so I made up my own. I, I created this really cool format. I interviewed Dory and Jack. Then I chopped it all up, mixed and matched it, narrated in between. There's music. It's dramatic. I loved this episode. I mean, a lot of people are embarrassed of their first episodes, but honestly, this is one of my favorite episodes. I feel like it, it was a masterpiece. And I may have been a little bit rusty in terms of my narration and ability as a podcaster, but in general, I feel like I put together a really great show considering it was my first one out of the gate. I'm really proud of it. And I got a lot of my first handful of hardcore fans because of this episode. And it really helped launch me on the right foot. So really grateful that I took the time to put this together. It took about two months to put this episode together. I essentially wrote a mini audiobook for this podcast. I mean, I scripted parts in between and really thought about it. And so I, I hope you guys enjoy the show. And the other thing I kind of just want to say before we continue on to episode number one is that I had a lot of naysayers when I first started the podcast. A lot of people told me that I couldn't do it. I had failed at radio. I was rejected by radio. I had several online shows. Young and Profiting Podcast was like my fifth show. I had taken a four-year break because I went into corporate and I thought, you know, I was never going to get back into the entertainment industry. I thought I wasn't going to be able to make it. And then I finally got the itch again and I wanted to start this podcast. And everybody who loved me in my life was against it. My parents, my boyfriend, my friends, they told me, oh, you're just starting that because you're not married yet. So you're starting your podcast because you're not married. If you were married, you wouldn't start a podcast. <laughs> That's literally what people told me. Then um, I also heard that I was too old. I wasn't even 30 yet. 
I was in my 20s and I was told I'm too old to start a podcast. Hmm, That doesn't really make any sense, right? How are you too old to start a podcast? There's people who are 60 years old who have a podcast. I was told that it was too saturated and that I would never make it and, and never be able to grow because it was already way too saturated. And it's just so funny. You know, January 2021, I was on the cover of Podcast Magazine. I'm hanging out with JLD and Jordan Harbinger, the two biggest podcasters in the world. I just feel like I've made it as a podcaster for sure. I mean, this is my full-time job now, aside from my marketing agency. And it's all because I decided to believe in myself. I decided that I wasn't too old to start something new and that it wasn't too saturated enough. And if I was creative enough and if I worked hard enough, I could make it. And I didn't listen to the people who told me that I couldn't do it. I just decided to try and put myself out there and do the work and take a chance and be vulnerable in that way. Because putting yourself out there is scary. I remember getting 10 likes on my post and wondering why my friends and my coworkers weren't supporting my content. But I just kept going every single day. I'd post and I'd promote it and I would keep consistent and I kept landing great guest after great guest and I did my research and I built my team and I just kept going one day at a time. We all start at zero. And so I just want to give you courage if you're out there listening and if you want to start something new, if you have a burning desire to start something new, just do it. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Just learn how to do it and put something out there into the world and just see what happens and work hard at it every single day. And I really believe that if you have good intentions and if you put great action into something every single day, there's no way you can't succeed. So without further ado, this is my first episode called First Impressions. I hope you enjoyed the show. The human race is built to size each other up quickly. First impressions happen fast, and they're stubborn. Research says it takes anywhere from four seconds to two minutes for a person to make their initial impression about you, and once an impression is formed, it's very, very hard to change it. Even after multiple encounters with that person and presented with lots of evidence to counteract that initial impression. And while you might wish opinions about you were based on your intelligence or experience, most studies show that first impressions are shaped by what can be seen or heard in those first few initial seconds. First impressions are very important because what first impressions form is a filter through which we see that person again and again. That's Dr. Jack Schaefer a former FBI agent with a specialty in behavioral analysis and author of one of my favorite books, The Light Switch, an ex-FBI agent's guide to influencing, attracting, and winning people over. You know, one of my jobs uh, in the FBI was a counterintelligence officer. My job was to identify spies and then figure out ways to catch them. And part of catching a spy, what we try to do is get that person to double back or work for us against their country. And what what we have to do is find ways to convince that person to do that. And what we do in behavioral analysis is we get all the information we can on that person. We look at that person's personality and we look for flaws and weaknesses in the personality. And based on those vulnerabilities, we develop strategies that will increase our probability that that person will either confess or work with us. 
And what I did was I converted those tools basically into personal relationships. So normal people can now use these tools to enhance their relationships with other people. Okay, so let's go back to why first impressions are so important. Dr. Jack Schaefer was talking about the primacy effect or the primacy filter, which is a pretty well-known phenomenon in the behavioral science world that basically says that people tend to remember the information that they hear first rather than the information that they hear later. In other words, if you form a good impression, anything you say or do, the person you meet is going to see you through that good filter. And if you meet somebody and you have a bad first impression, then anything you say or do is gonna be interpreted as bad. Impressions of others are based on all the information that we know about that person. In other words, it's based on their traits. The primacy effect says the timing of learning these traits is also important. Essentially, the order in which we discover someone's traits makes a difference to our overall impression of that person. So starting on the wrong foot when meeting someone new could do a lot of damage. But then I get to thinking, people are smart, right? We have empathy and logic. Wouldn't we naturally want to give people the benefit of the doubt? The fundamental attribution error is a phenomenon that is well-known and and well-documented in psychology. And again, it goes back to the fact that, that humans are a little bit lazy when it comes to understanding and assessing other people. That's Dory Clark, who the New York Times describes as an expert at self-reinvention. I'm the author of Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You and Stand Out, and an adjunct professor for Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. She's about to give an example of the attribution effect, which is the tendency to believe what people do reflects who they are and defines their character, instead of considering what might be impacting them from an external perspective. Said simply, when we see someone doing something, we tend to think it relates to their personality rather than the situation the person might be in. This is especially true when the behavior is negative. It would be nice if we could rely on other people to be very thoughtful and rational and generous when evaluating us. And, you know, if we if we came into work one day and, you know, we were in a bad mood and snapped at somebody, wouldn't it be great if they said, oh, wow, she must just be having, you know, a, a, a terrible day. Maybe something happened. <laughs> but instead, that's usually not how it works, especially if you're first getting to know somebody. Odds are the person is going to say, you know, wow, you know, what a what a jerk. Uh, you know, who is who is this uh, this person that's, you know, storming through here? She must be moody. And, you know, of course, if someone has a longitudinal basis, if they've known us over time and they know that that's aberrant behavior, then they will be able to, to judge that and put it in context. But a lot of the time, uh, especially when people are first forming impressions, they they aren't going to take the time for that. They're, they they are going to, in many ways, assume the worst and they're going to assume, oh, well, you know, she's, uh, uh, this this one incident happened that's negative. She just must be a bad person. She just must be a mean person. And that's a, a tough thing to overcome. So it's very difficult to override the negative primacy of filter because people always are number one, they're less likely to see you. They're less likely to be around you because they have negative feelings towards you. 
And the other thing is, it takes time. You have to constantly meet that person, demonstrate to them that you're not, you know, the 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 person that they they thought they first met. So it takes time over and over and over again. And eventually, what happens is the person says, "Oh, when I first met you, I didn't like you." But, you know, after being with you and doing things with you and getting to know you a little bit better, you're not such a bad person. You're not that bad person I thought you were when I met you. And I like you now. But that takes a lot of time. It's a lot easier to have that good first impression where that person says, you know, I met you for the first time and I really liked you. I didn't know much about you, but I liked you. And then once that occurs, that person is seeing everything you say and do through that good first impression. Clearly, first impressions make a difference. People are the gatekeepers in life. And the more good impressions you make, the more likely you'll build healthy relationships that can bring you closer to your goals. And while it might seem overwhelming to have to think about being strategic when meeting new people, after studying the topic and talking with incredible experts like Dory and Jack, I've realized it really all boils down to just three main elements. The first is presence. This is really about your physical being, your demeanor and approachability, the cues you give off with your body language and your clothes. The second is likability. How well can you make a connection and can you make it last? How quickly can you get someone to like you? And the third is authenticity. This is really about delivering a consistent impression to the world by understanding who you really are and where you want to be and then working to close that gap. It's about being and acting like who you're trying to be. And while that might sound phony, in reality, that's one of the only ways you can grow. Now let's unpack all of this and hear what the experts have to say, starting with presence, namely your body language. When we approach one another, we tend to, we, we will eyebrow flash each other. So if I approach a person, they're going to eyebrow flash. I'm going to return that eyebrow flash. The eyebrow flash is a 164th of a second, quick up and down raising of the eyebrows. And that just tells, it's a long distance signal that tells that person, I'm not a threat. The second friend signal is the head tilt. When you tilt your head to one side or the other, you expose your carotid artery. And when you, you're telling that person, basically, I trust you enough to expose a very vulnerable part of my body. So that's sending a friend signal. And uh, a lot of people who own dogs will recognize this when they enter the home. After they've been gone for a while, the dog will sit there and tilt its head, or the dog will flip over on its back and expose its underbelly. And those are just friend signals that that dog is telling the owner, you know, I'm not a threat because they are exposing their vulnerable parts of their body. In body language, there are some standard principles. Ultimately, confidence is a, a, a winning emotion to convey in almost any circumstance. People like to be around confident people. They relate to them better. It will, it will serve you better as you build a relationship. And so marks of confidence include things like having an open body posture, you know, not having your body hunched down, not crossing your arms, uh, but maintaining a, a, pretty, a pretty open frame with your shoulders back. So the last one is the smile. Smile is very important because if you smile at somebody, 
and they smile back, they receive a endorphin, a shot of endorphins. Endorphins make us feel good about ourselves. So if I smile at somebody and I'm getting a shot myself of endorphins, so I feel good about myself, but more importantly, I'm making that other person feel good about themselves. So these combination of friend signals are what how we communicate initially before we even open our mouths. And it's critical that we do these things uh, to let the person know that we are, in fact, uh, not a threat to them. Uh, there's a lot of variations of a smile. If you want to look intelligent and less friendly, you smile, but you kind of half smile. And that gives the impression that you're intelligent and, and competent. But if you want to look friendly, you give people full smiles. So you look more friendly, but a bit less competent. To recap, when meeting new people, we want to send friend signals that show that we're not a threat. According to Dr. Jack Schaefer, this includes an eyebrow flash, a head tilt, and a smile. Dory Clark mentioned portraying a confident body language, but that's easier said than done. There are, however, tricks that can help you get in a confident mood. Take, for instance, power posing. This episode of Yap is sponsored by Setapp. Getting things done is a challenge that everyone struggles with. One way to tackle it is to make sure you have the right tools, and for your computer, that means the right apps. The problem is, not all apps do what they promise, and the drawn-out search for the right solution makes it harder to get the job done. That's why they're Setapp. Setup is on a mission to help users get more done. With Setapp, there's no more worrying about how to search for apps to solve a problem. Setapp packs over 200 apps for your Mac and your iPhone into one. There's an app for almost any task, so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. With Setapp, you can think about your tasks, not your apps. A dedicated curation team only selects the highest quality apps. New apps are added to Setapp regularly. Updates are free and all the apps are full-featured pro versions. It's also a great value. Instead of paying thousands of dollars for separate licenses, there's just one flat monthly fee. Head over to setapp.com to try Setapp for free for a week. If you like Setapp, pay just $9.99 per month as long as it's useful to you. And trust us, it will be. This episode of Yap is sponsored by jamesallen.com. Hey, young and profiters, are you in the market to get married? Are you ready to propose to your boo? You know, most of my listeners are males from 30 to 45. And that means that most of y'all have a boo and are thinking about proposing to her. So let me get you in on a little secret. Girls, us girls, we don't want to be completely surprised. Yes, you got that right. We do not want to be completely surprised. We want to be surprised about when you pop the question, but we don't want to be surprised about the actual ring that you're picking out. You don't pick out our clothes when we go to work. You don't pick out our jewelry and our outfits when you take us out to dinner. Why would it make sense for you to buy us a ring that we're going to have to wear for the rest of our lives without running it by us first? You should know what taste that we like, what setting that we like, what shape that we like, what gold that we like. You should know a few things before you go shell out all that money for an engagement ring. So save all the headaches, make your girl happy, and remember jamesallen.com. 
Before the big day, go to jamesallen.com and virtually try on rings with their ring try on feature. You select the setting and you find the look you love from the comfort of your own home. And their diamond display technology displays all of their 200,000 certified conflict-free diamonds in magnified 360 HD. It's literally better than being in the physical store. When you shop at jamesallen.com, you're going to get rings up to 50% cheaper than you would in the traditional stores. That's half off. You'll get access to a huge inventory so you actually can get what you want. You're not just limited to what they have in the store. And it's all totally customizable. And this is the way of the future. This is the way that couples are getting their rings now. We're not going to the store. It's COVID. We're comfortable at home. We are comfortable with technology. We want to try our rings on on the app, on the website, jamesallen.com and find the one that we like that way. They have 24-7 customer service. They give you diamond tips. They'll even give you advice on how to pop the question. I'll tell you, my man better act right and use jamesallen.com because this is the only way to buy your engagement rings. Nothing would feel more romantic than him asking me to try on rings with him at jamesallen.com. Hint, hint. Go to jamesallen.com for the best deal on your engagement ring. And right now you can use code YAP30 for 30% off your purchase. That's code YAP30 at jamesallen.com for 30% off. Some exclusions apply. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They're in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You wanna get them in the right mindset. You wanna cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that They can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts 
in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, We can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm gonna like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I want to start by um, offering you a free no-tech life hack. Um, And all it requires of you is this, that you change your posture for two minutes. So power posing became a very popular concept a few years ago as a result of Amy Cuddy's TED Talk. Uh, At the time, she was a Harvard Business School professor, um, very popular, well-known, wrote a book called Presence. And her talk has become one of the most popular and most watched ones in TED history. Um, She described research that she and her colleagues did about so-called power posing, which is where you assume a posture of, uh, that's essentially sending signals of, of 
dominance or power in some way. So there was uh, there was the Superman where you have your uh, your legs shoulder width apart and you're uh, you're you know flexing your biceps. Uh, there's the you know, there's the Wonder Woman where you're again standing with a strong stance and you have your arms crossed powerfully in front of you. Uh, and so her research showed that if you hold a pose like that for two minutes, that there were demonstrable signs, both in terms of the participants' reported sense of feeling power and also in terms of neurochemicals that were being transmitted. So their levels of cortisol, the stress hormone, declined, and their levels of testosterone, which you know is tied to uh, to, to power uh, and and you know feelings of, of dominance or aggression, that increased. And uh, so that has become a very popular concept. One postscript, you know, kind of kind of a caveat, a quasi caveat is that there's been a lot of hullabaloo recently about the fact that Amy Cuddy and her colleagues' research has not been able to be replicated. But apparently, in terms of participants' perceived sense of power and confidence, that seems to be a steady thing. How about the way that we should dress? What are the best practices when it comes to our clothing? So what you want to do is to try to, to match the clothing that the other person is, is wearing. So if they're wearing a suit, you better wear a suit. If they're wearing cutoffs in a T-shirt, you wear cutoffs in a T-shirt. Because it's like you, me, same, same is kind of the rule of thumb. Because we like people that we share common ground with. So if I look like you, it's more likely that you're going to like me because you see the common ground between us. Some general rules of thumb. You always want to at least try to match or relate to the other person's dress. Now, there's there's power cues involved in this, um, but I, I would say in general, it is a safe bet to try to dress in a similar way as them. If you know that they're going to be business casual, uh, it's it's good for you to be business casual. Otherwise, it, it sends signals that you might not otherwise intend. For instance, if you know they're going to be a little bit dressy and you deliberately dress down, they may interpret that based on other cues, um, such as, you know, your your age, your social status. Uh, they might, if you're younger and less powerful, they might view it that you just don't have a clue. You know, oh, she doesn't understand the norms here. She's out of touch. You know, why did she dress in this radically casual way when everyone else knows this is a serious business environment? So I think you're you're often far better just trying to meet the other person where they are when it comes to how they will be dressing in a given environment. Here's a fun fact. According to psychologists at the University of Kansas, you can accurately judge a person just by looking at their feet. The study found that people were able to correctly judge a stranger's age, gender, income, and other important traits with 90% accuracy by looking at the person's shoes. So if you had to choose just one item to upgrade in your wardrobe, go with your kicks. Now you have some clues about the type of presence you want to give off when meeting someone for the first time. Let's get into the second element of creating a good first impression, your likability, or how well you can make a connection and build a lasting relationship. So can you talk more about the importance of making people 
feel good about themselves and, and why that's so important when trying to build relationships? Yeah, if you want to get people to like you, this is one of the few techniques that works 100% of the time. If you want people to like you, you make them feel good about themselves. Because what happens is, is if that person feels good about themselves, they're going to want to come back and meet you again. They're going to want to come back at sales meetings or a dating situation to get that same good feeling again. So when you want to get people to like you, you put the focus on them and you take it off yourselves. And I know that one of the easiest ways to get somebody to like you is by paying them a compliment. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, compliments can be dangerous because, number one, they have to be true. Because if somebody compliments me, I know if it's a good compliment or not, especially when I'm a professor. A student will walk in my office and say, Mr. Sh- you know, Dr. Schaefer, you're the best professor I've ever had. The next thing out of their mouth is, can you do this for me? Can you give me a break? Give me an extension. Give me a higher grade. So I know that that's not sincere. The best way to allow to flatter people is to allow them to flatter themselves. The golden rule of friendship is we always want to make that other person feel good about themselves. We can do that with empathic statements. Empathic statements are nothing more than putting the focus on that other person. You're going to take what that person says, what they do, or how they feel. You're going to use parallel language, and then you're going to mirror that language back to them. And that keeps the focus on them, and they feel like that you truly do understand what they're saying and how they're feeling because you're reflecting it back on them. A good way to construct empathic statements is so you. So you feel this way, so you're happy, so you've done this. That keeps the focus on the other person. And when you get good at keeping the focus on the other person, you want to then, you know, you could get rid of the so you. And I practice this, you know, all the time. If I'm getting on the elevator at school and I see a a student that's very happy, I'll just look at the student and I'll say, ah, you're having a good day. And they typically will respond, yeah, I studied real hard for a test and I passed it. And then you could use another empathic statement. So your hard work paid off. And what you're doing is two things. The empathic statement, which lets that other person know that somebody's listening to them. And also you're allowing that person to flatter themselves. They'll say, yes, I did work really hard on that. And they'll give themselves a slight pat on the back And they feel good about themselves just with that first, you know, 30 second encounter. And then they will like you because of that. When you first meet a new person, job one is establishing commonality with them. In my book, Standout, I interviewed uh, Robert Cialdini, one of the, the leading thinkers about influence and persuasion. And he said that this is the most important first step that you can take because fundamentally, People, when they meet you, are filtering you into a category of us or a category of them. And you want to be an us, right? You want to make a connection. You want them to feel like this is somebody I can relate to. This is somebody I can do business with. This is someone like me. And so if you can find some way that you 
have something in common. Even if it's not a profound thing in common, maybe it's that you live in the same neighborhood, maybe you're from the same state originally, maybe you went to the same college, maybe you both like a certain sports team, maybe you both have dogs, whatever it is. If you can identify something as quickly as possible that bonds you together, that becomes the start of your ability to form a deeper relationship and a deeper connection. And what do you say is the best way to practice without, you know, sort of embarrassing yourself? Well, like like I do, you know, I, I go into sandwich places and I talk to the people making the sandwich. You know, I noticed if they like me and, and I speak with them and, and, you know, use empathic statements, I get a bigger sandwich. That's how I practice. You want to practice where you can get a reward because people generally don't practice these things unless they get a reward for it. So you can get, you know, upgrades in, for your cars. You can get upgrades on your meals. You can get better service. You can get upgraded from coach to, to business or first class when you're, when you're flying an airplane. You can, Look, you know, like like I do on the elevator. You just see somebody that looks happy, say, oh, you're having a good day. So these things can be practiced anywhere through life. And why is that? Those are the things that normal people do when they try to develop relationships. So what's your perspective on building and maintaining relationships past that initial first impression? Yeah, the friendship formula is the basically there's four elements in all friendships and that's proximity frequency duration and intensity in order to even have a relationship you have to have proximity with the person and then you have to be frequently with that person and also you have to have duration of time you spend with that person and i think the most important element is that intensity that's where we share those verbal and nonverbal cues to let that other person know that we want to in- intensify the relationship. And so what you can do is you can look at a relationship. If your relationship is floundering for some particular reason, then you could look, am I spending enough time with that person proximity? Am I spending enough uh, frequency? Am, am I seeing that person often enough? And then you say, well, if I see the person often, what's my duration? of? Am I seeing them for 30 seconds or two minutes or 20 minutes? Or, or is it going to be a longer duration? And then, of course, what's the intensity of the relationship? So basically, you can identify relationships that are going bad, and you can actually fix them using these four uh, elements of a relationship. Hey, AppFam, starting my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass was one of the best things I've ever done for my business. I didn't have to waste time figuring out all the nuts and bolts of setting up a website that had everything I needed, like a way to buy my course, subscription offerings, chat functionality, and so on, because it was super easy with Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your first product, finally taking your side hustle full-time, or making half a million dollars from your masterclass like me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered as you scale. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to other options out there. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. 
from huge shoe brands like Allbirds to vegan cosmetic brands like Thrive Cosmetics. Actually, back on episode 253, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Thrive Cosmetics, Carissa Bodnar, and she told me about how she set up her store with Shopify and it was so plug and play, her store exploded right away. Even for a makeup artist type girl with no coding skills, it was easy for her to open up a shop and start her dream job as an entrepreneur. That was nearly a decade ago. And now it's even easier to sell more with less thanks to AI tools like Shopify Magic. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. So you can focus on the important stuff, the stuff you like to do. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. And that's all lowercase. If you want to start that side hustle you've always dreamed of, if you want to start that business you can't stop thinking about, if you have a great idea, what are you waiting for? Start your store on Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Shopify.com slash profiting for $1 per month trial period. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. When it comes to likability, you want to use empathic statements to focus the conversation on the other person and make that person feel good about themselves by providing an opportunity for them to flatter themselves. In addition, you want to try to establish common ground. This helps us spark a relationship and we can practice these things in everyday settings until it becomes second nature. When it comes to lasting impressions and maintaining relationships, we can follow the friendship formula, which includes proximity, frequency, duration, and intensity. We can evaluate relationships based on these levers and increase areas that may be weak to improve the health of a relationship. And now on to the third element for good impression management, authenticity. This is about being consistent with the impressions you give off to the world. And the only way to do that is by understanding who you are and who you want to be. Let's hear what Dory and Jack have to say about this. Yeah, the other thing first impressions can do is they can they can hurt you through a third party. So what you want to do is you want to make sure you make good impressions with everybody. Because if a friend walks up to me and says, you're going to meet this person. And I don't like that person. He's not a good person. He's not very trustworthy. So when I finally meet that person, my friend has already set up that primacy filter as a a negative. So when I see that person, I'm already going to have a negative impression of that person. But if that person comes, you know, to me first and says, you want to meet this person and they're friendly, they're gregarious, you know, you're going to really like them. When I finally meet the person, I'm going to have that primacy set up that it's going to be a good first impression. So anything that person says or does, I'm going to see it through that good filter. So it's it's important that you make good first impressions on all people because they could act as your ambassadors. Why do you think it's so important to understand yourself and, you know, your your goals and who you want to be and where you want to go in order to make a good first impression? Well, as the saying goes, if you don't know where you're going, then 
any destination is fine, right? <laughs> so if you uh, if you're unsure of your goals and you're just uh, sort of wantonly moving in different directions, then people are going to get a kind of random perception of you, and you know that that might be good or, or bad, but. But odds are it's going to be challenging for you because if you are sending mixed messages, it's no wonder that they don't really understand where you want to go in your professional life because you don't either. Now, if I understand this all correctly, first of all, you need to make a consistent impression on everyone you meet because people can act as your privacy filter and indirectly influence the way other people perceive you. In order to give a consistent impression, you need to decide who you want to be and how you want to be perceived. But in order to strategize how to shift the impression you give off, you need to know how you come off right now in the first place and what areas you might need to improve. How do we explore that? It is very hard for us as individuals to really have a sense of how we're coming across to other people. It's a big blind spot because we fundamentally can't see the world through other people's eyes. So there are, however, workarounds where you can get hints about what other people see. One is to get feedback from your friends and colleagues. Now, it might sound a little intimidating, but I actually, in my book, Reinventing You, have a a kind of quick life hack version that's pretty low key. And that's something I call the three-word exercise. And Basically, what you do is that over the course of a few days, you reach out to about half a dozen colleagues and you ask them a very simple question, which is, if you had to describe me in only three words, what would they be? And you listen, you you write them down so you don't forget them. Um, but guaranteed, you're going to start to see patterns as you get the fourth, the fifth, the sixth person telling you about yourself. And odds are, it's not going to be shocking, surprising information. You know, you're, you're probably going to hear words that make sense to you. Uh, it's, you know, things you might have thought about yourself. But the interesting part and the reason that this is valuable, it's not that they're telling you something you've never thought about. What they are telling you is something that structurally we are just incapable as individuals of knowing, which is what is it about us that other people perceive as being most unique? That's the interesting part because that's, that's what they remember. That's what stands out. How are you different from other people? Now, what if, you know, you get this feedback and the theme is negative, maybe lazy comes across as a theme. What would you do then? Like, what's your next steps if you find that your perception is negative? Interestingly, I am willing to bet that that will almost never happen. And here is why. That's not to say there aren't lazy people in the world, but the problem is almost always the reverse, which is that instead of people being, you know, frank and honest with you, they might sugarcoat it. The the situation that you're far more likely to encounter is that they won't tell you the bad stuff. They'll, they'll be totally honest about the good stuff, of course. I mean, why wouldn't they? But they might try to go a little easy on the negative traits. And so... Here's the here's the the kicker. What we need to do in order to be responsible in understanding this feedback is we have to ask ourselves of the traits that they have identified for us. You know the the most important uh, words to describe us. Is it possible 
that you are taking any of them to an extreme. And the reason this is the question is that almost always our weaknesses are simply strengths overapplied, right? They're, they're, they're intimately tied in with what's good about us. You know, oh, you're so creative. You're, you know, you're such a great conceptual thinker. Well, is, is it possible that you're so creative and big picture that you suck on details and that no one can count on you to do the little nitty gritty? Well, you know, that might not be true, but it also might. And so you have to ask yourself. So if you're getting a lot of feedback about, oh, you're just, you're so laid back, you know, you're just so calm. But is it possible that by laid back, they mean not just that, you know, you're chill in the face of adversity, but also that you might be a little lazy. Um, they're not going to say it unless it's somebody who's really close to you. You have to be willing to ask the question, is it possible? And grappling with, with the answer to that. You now have the tools to put the best you out to the world. The question is, do you have the confidence to go out and use them? I think the biggest roadblock people have is feeling like an imposter. What would you say to somebody who said that using these types of tactics and strategies are dishonest or um, trying too hard? Well, you know, they're not dishonest and it's not trying too hard because all these things that we talked about today are things people normally do when they want to begin a relation with somebody or they want to continue a relationship with somebody. These are natural things that occur. We do these things all the time. And all, all we're trying to do is get those people that are not aware of these social cues or these social uh, rapport building techniques to become aware of them and to use them because that's what people naturally do. Broadly speaking, I don't think that there is anything inauthentic or manipulative about having strategy in your life. If that were the case, having a career goal would be manipulative. You know, oh, where, you know, where, where do you want to be in five years? Oh, in five years, I'd like to be, you know, the vice president. Oh, so fake, so manipulative. I mean, what we're, what we're essentially talking about is not the caricature version, which is, oh, what does the world want me to be? And how can I pretend to be more like that? That is, that is the opposite of good personal branding. What we are talking about really is instead coming up with, with an understanding of who you are as a person. This is an inside out process where you understand who you are and then you make sure through being strategic that the rest of the world gets it and that they understand the value that you have to bring. It's, it's really about removing the static from the channel so that the real message can get through and so that people are not misinterpreting you, so that they really understand what you have to bring to the table so that your talents are not overlooked. I, to me, that is the, the opposite of manipulation. It is the opposite of, uh, of, of fakery. It is instead enabling people to see who you really are and see why that's valuable. This concludes the First Impressions episode brought to you by Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, where anything goes if it makes you grow. A special thanks to Dr. Jack Schaefer and Dory Clark for their wisdom and time. This episode was mixed by John Sparks and music produced by Harry Fraud. Wishing you the best of luck on your next First Impression. Thanks for yapping with me. This is Hala signing off. Thank you.